Hey there, everyone. It's Miranda. Anju. Pooja. And special guest, you all know her well. Shamila. Hey, Shamila. Hey, Shamila. We are here to uh, talk about the downplay of suffering. Basically, mental health, suffering, and how we cope and how we don't... Brown people are not good about talking about these things and expressing what we are going through. Hella not good at it. Like, this is... I'm going to... I'm not wasting any time. I'm passing it right back to Shamila because... When we are experiencing some kind of suffering or pain, it manifests as something else. So I feel like this conversation about the downplay of suffering is where we end up with these like radicalized, nationalist, violent kind of situations like we have in our uh, rhetoric, in our you know, conversations with each other in our, you know, honestly, cowardly um, ways that we talk to each other online. I just think that it all manifests right there because we just don't know how to talk about what's really going down. And I feel like Shamila could talk about this perfectly because she wrote this, honestly, we mentioned it in another episode, is sometimes she wrote this post. It was like, sometimes you will be thinking, I hate myself. My life sucks, blah, 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 blah. What I'm really saying is I'm in pain. I have needs that are not met. I'm hurting. And I feel like if our people, brown people, knew how to talk about suffering, if we really knew how to get down to what is really going on, we wouldn't have half of the situations that are going on politically, what's going on in our communities, what's going on in our neighborhoods, what's going on in our families here in a completely different country. We wouldn't be having none of that. Shamila? I mean, damn. Okay, so... <laughs> that was like the broadest possible introduction. Shamila? <laughs> da, 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 you're on the spot. <laughs> Yay! Okay, jazz hands. <laughs> yeah. So, ask me a direct question, Miranda. Where do we even begin when it comes to helping our families talk about what they are feeling or our, you know, our parents or our relatives? What are you really feeling? How are you hurting? I think we need to back it up even further. You know, how can we recognize when our families are deflecting and when they're maybe trying to communicate an actual need you know, because, I mean, as they get older, there are things that they're going to be prideful about and not mention, or especially, like, I, I'm kind of going through this right now in a way because my grandmother, we've done some tests on her memory and things are being forgotten rapidly. And so it, it's like you don't know where they're coming from as they age in that respect. And also you don't know where they're coming from because they're, Older Indian people who don't know how to communicate their damn feelings. So, you know, what are some sure, despite the the cultural differences, how do you spot when somebody may be deflecting or trying to reach out? And what do you do, like, when you're the person who cares and wants to do something about it? Okay, I'm going to try really hard to be articulate and answer these very important questions. Uh, So to Pooja's point about how can you tell if somebody's deflecting you know when you don't have and this really goes across cultures but certainly with the brown community if you don't have language for emotions or you have a variety of reasons why we just don't talk about emotions and i'm guessing we're going to talk about that too then it's going to get filtered so if you want to go all the way into your nervous system your nervous system has different ways of responding to fear and threat And so typically what that looks like is you're going to get some version of anxiety, which would be fear, right? Um, Wanting to run away or anger, which is sort of more of a fight response. So oftentimes what you'll see from people, and I I can definitely, I'm having images in my head of, of what this looks like in my own family, but you'll have people getting really anxious, a lot of worrying, a lot of questioning and explaining and just talking and talking and talking and talking, maybe even really quickly. And no matter what you say to them, you're not getting, you don't really feel like you're getting through to them because it's just this gushing of anxiety. So I feel like it looks like that. And then you might also see anger. So some people just get really irritable and frustrated, maybe 
aggressive. I mean, it depends. Anger looks very different. And the expression of anger is its own beast. So, but generally, I would say if you kind of think about an iceberg, I mean, maybe you guys have heard of like the anger iceberg. But so there's this idea that anxiety and anger both, I would say, are the iceberg on top of the ocean. But then, as we know, icebergs go way, 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 way miles deep under the the surface of the water. And so there you're going to see all of the real emotional processing that everybody's avoiding through the anxiety and the anger. So does that make sense in terms of what it might look like? That makes hella sense to me (laughs) that because because like, I don't know. It seems like they hold it down and 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 they hold and then there's this random burst, right? A revealing random burst. I, I was gonna say, Anju, talk about how all our moms, you know, their fear Police manifested, you know, in in that kind of toxic way. Right, by policing what we wore, but without really explaining why they were policing what we wore. So the rules seemed arbitrary and didn't didn't make any sense. Like, for example, when I was in middle school, like the sleeveless shirt was a really big thing, the button down sleeveless shirt. And I wanted to wear them and my mom wouldn't let me, which I did not understand because my sister, who's three years younger, was allowed to wear them. And it was because I have boobs and or had boobs and she at the time and she did not. But that was not explained in a way that made any sense. And I'm like, it's just my arm. What the heck? (laughs) My upper arm. That's it. I think I may have mentioned this before, but my mom, um, she read my diary when I was in sixth grade and she found out I had a crush on somebody and she came into the bedroom one day when I was getting ready to, um, for school. Cause I think the day before I had mentioned that I walked to his house and so she must've read that. And so the day she comes, you know, she goes, rape is when a man puts his penis in, in your vagina and walked out of the room. And I'm like, <laughs> I haven't had cereal. <laughs> There I'm not is even sure. so much lack of nuance in what that what just happened there. Because a penis going into a vagina means a lot of other things too. Right. right. And not, so not exclusively rape, yeah. Right. And so instead of saying, you know, you gotta when you go over to a friend's house, be careful. If you don't feel safe, leave. This is what rape looks like. Instead of saying that, instead of admitting she read my diary, <laughs> she came in and made this pronouncement. Um, my mother also read my diary (laughs) and it was about, I think it was in middle school and I started having, you know, I had crushes on boys and things like that. But for the first time I was having actual like hugs with them and that's all it is is that these boys that I thought were cute were giving me hugs and my mom read that shit and she was like gateway drug to sex and rape. Like, (laughs) honestly, I mean, low-key, as you're saying that, I think about all the times I felt like I was outright rebelling when I did (laughs) hug on guys at, like, school events, like field trips, never at the school, Mm. you know, away games, field day, taking pictures and shit, like, using that as an excuse to, to be, you know quote-unquote intimate how you like me now yeah you you know with guys with and I'd be thinking god if my parents knew what I was doing right now and all you're doing is like high-fiving you know it's (laughs) it's sad (laughs) it's only sad because there was so much mystery it was shrouded in fucking mystery why even like the et touch of our fingertips with a male would be like scandalous to our parents like Shamila was talking about there's this fucking iceberg like and somehow the idea or the thought of the daughter just looking in the direction and breathing the same oxygen as a boy it's just it's it's bringing up all this other shit they just haven't resolved or talked about or anything and for me like growing up there were two things my mom talked about again her pain levels, and you're in danger. Like, that's basically it. I, 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 that resonates with me because my um, Aji passed away a year a year plus now. And at her funeral, I gave I had the, the honor of giving her eulogy. And I had mentioned that, you know, my sister pointed this out, that whenever you asked her how she was, she never complained about anything, right? Except she would mention about her arthritis, 
She never complained about, you know, your grandfather's not giving me any attention. You guys don't visit. I may or may not have accidentally burned the house down, but you're using the microwave for two hours instead of two minutes. Like, you know, these things weren't necessarily communicated. <laughs> you know, it's like my, my knuckles hurt. I think that this is like something that's passed on generationally because as you're talking about how, how the icebergness of it, how your parents or grandparents would communicate something to you and, and now as adults you look back on it, you're like, oh, you know, I think like me now, I'm not used to direct confrontation about things. I prefer the subtext and emotion, you know, because I like a long processing time. And I think that's how my family operates. It's like, write a letter. If you choose to read it or not, it's gone out of me. We're going to move forward, right? And so, um, and we'll keep working at it, but it's like subtle subtext. It's not like direct conversations. Literally write a letter. That's funny because in my family, it's don't write a letter. That shit lasts forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, Speaking of like shit that could go real deep, we don't talk about what's, you know, what happens in the family, that sort of thing. This is 100% along. This is adjacent to the topic. Uh, We don't talk about our family stuff outside. So, but you don't talk about your suffering, right? We don't talk about our suffering. I mean, it's, it's, I think this is, this is shady, but follow me with this. The, the thing about getting older and going to Brown family events, you're, hoping for the drunk Aji, that drunk Chacha, to come out and start spilling family secrets. <laughs> okay, because I, I mean, this is what, this is, this is kind of the reason I go to a lot of family funerals, because you're just like, you never know. You know, like, then people are, like, free to talk about that person, and then you find out about that person's pain, and you find out when they were young how they were abandoned, and you're like, uh, she never talked about this except her fucking knuckles, you yeah. know? Oh, my God, 100%. <laughs> okay, just just this past week, I sent Pooja and Anju a message that my mom just told me the wildest fucking story about her time being a nurse, how she once, because, you know, I read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and it talked about level one trauma centers where these really, really egotistical surgeons wouldn't, do their jobs right they wouldn't be careful you know they're having to do archaic for absolutely no reason 72 hour shifts and shit like that and how the nurses were often the victims of what was going on in these particular centers these places were toxic and i just having a conversation with my mom about that and she was like oh yeah I reported somebody who was one of like the, I don't remember the exact title of the person, but he was high up. She reported a doctor for discharging a patient improperly in a way that endangered the patient. And she's sitting there. She knows this discharge has happened. And this fucker, like this super privileged, do not question me kind of toxic male fucker was like, had the nerve after my mom reported him the next day to walk up to the head nurse who is a black woman <laughs> and say why are you sending all these stupid indian women to like da 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 my mom said to me is like you will never be able to say that i didn't do my job and i was like snaps <laughs> Where was this storytelling when I was growing up? <laughs> I needed this. I needed this. I needed to know that you were a fucking badass. Why didn't you tell me this stuff? It was always, you're going to get raped. And <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> I, I, my pain levels. I wonder if that's like, you're, you have to have your child by suffering before they start divulging things to you. <laughs> it's like, oh, you won't. Either you won't listen to me. You'll ignore me or you outright won't believe me if I told you this as a teenager. Now that you've been living in the world, here's the story because you've had a job too. (laughs) Or it's like a shitty club that you have to buy your access with your own pain. It's a shitty club you have to access and buy into with your own fucking pain. Hold on a second, Anju. I've had some fucking pain. (laughs) My mother has sent me to a psychologist before. She knows I've gone through some shit, and yet stuff still stays buried deep. Like, it takes a while, and they don't divulge it until it's just really, really, really fucking late. Shamila? I think it has to be also said here, 
that none of what you're, I mean, what you're describing makes a lot of sense. This idea of getting access to this club once you finally, you know, you, you get access and buy in with your pain. I mean, that all makes a lot of sense. And yet at the same time, we have to remember that none of this is conscious. Right. None of these people, our family members, our parents, are these important people in our lives, they, I, I don't know if they know the importance of these things. I, I really don't know because I haven't talked to enough people to really answer that. But this concept of, that there is a club, the fact that there is a reason to share these stories. I mean, it, it, it kind of feels like the most important thing to most of our elders is keep these children safe. And that, that need for safety, I, I mean, man, that's a Pandora's box right there. That's the serious side of the coin to, I think it was on Master of None about your parents didn't tell you about how he had to kill his own chicken, his pet chicken and eat him. Like stories of your immigrant parents. It's This is the darker side of that same concept. Right. It's like they don't talk about anything, their experiences, their pain, their joy. And to, to their credit and my and our discredit, it's like, why do you like pistachio kulfi so much, mom? You know, like, I don't know that reason, you know. There's, there's almost, I mean, I could romanticize this to be honest, but there's something about, you know, having to kill my own chicken to feed my family or whatever it might be, uh, or all of the things that they had to do that were a lot harder than the lives we live today and our luxury and, and I guess to some degree privilege, but that was just life. That was just how you lived. And there wasn't time to sit down and process and talk. And we, we do that now really in the West in particular, we process probably way more than any other time in history, any other culture, and probably more so than necessary. And this is coming from a therapist and I please tell you love therapy process all day long if you need to. But I think there is something to be said for our parents and our grandparents were just living. I mean, they didn't they didn't highlight these things as significant to them because no one taught them to. It's also like the difference between survival, like, you know, when you're in survival mode, yes. like that's all you can do. And you have an entire society that is based on just survival mode. Like there is no time to process and deal with your suffering. It's just 24 seven. You just got to keep it moving. Yeah. And it's it's that 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 mindset of scarcity and, and how that you know, you don't want to relive that kind of, you know, as you move past it. I feel like especially if you are, if your parents are immigrants and all the things that they went through, like I don't, I kind of don't want to know about my mom's experience at working at Kmart because I know there's going to be sexual harassment there and I don't want to think about it. I, and I don't want her to have to bring it up again, you know? So some of that, it's like when we're, when I'm asking about deflecting, you know, it's like they're because you have to live with the concept of that's their pain. That's their story. That's theirs to share. Despite what we may want from them. That's that's a fact. Right. So it's like, how do you get how do you navigate that when it's like, I know you're hurting. I don't need to know why unless you're comfortable telling me, you know, but you can't be yelling at me about dildos in the middle of the street, <laughs> you know, not that my mom's done that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, <laughs> really? Is that a quote? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, okay, how much effort can we put toward our aging parents and teaching them how to speak to us about what's going on with them or our relatives, of course? You know, how, do, how much effort do we put toward getting them to learn how to speak to us and how much we need to know exactly it is that what's going on in their minds but more important to me is we're like the next generation there was a really great post on um i think it was the asian women film festival or the asian women's festival on instagram it said everyone is carrying on the patterns of generational trauma or they are burdened with the task of breaking the pattern of generational trauma I feel like shit and I 100% know that I am of the camp that's breaking the patterns of generational trauma. I've spent the last six years doing it and I continue to do it. I feel, I feel tasked with that. So there's me, there's my friends, there's my relative cousins, there's my brother's children. These, these are the people, you know, of course, my brothers and my sister-in-law and, and her sister and every, our generation and my nephews, I'm, I'm just like I'm thinking of my nephews. What do we do from here for them? Is this even my nephew's problem? Because they're in a different world. They're being raised by a different world. And am I just sitting here like fearful that they're going to experience what I experienced or fearful that, I, that, that they're going to be 
uh, wondering what the hell's wrong with you, um, Auntie Miranda. Like, <laughs> I, I, what's really going on? You know, right? I mean, it's normalizing that larger thing within our um, diasporas, diasporas within our our family <laughs> groups, our tribes, whatever, the rice people of the world. That the thing that's trying to be normalized now in Western cultures about no stigma around mental health. No stigma around pain, suffering, grief. No stigma around being vulnerable. No stigma around pain. You know, I feel like that's in Western culture, at least where we are in life, we're seeing that among our peers, you know, maybe because we all read a lot of Brene. <laughs> you know, so we see that or, you know. Check. Yeah, or like we're in therapy, either professionally or personally, right? And so, you know, we kind of know that sense of working on it and, and voicing when you're not okay, this is a different spectrum of when you're not okay, right? So in, in like, it comes out a lot when it's like when somebody famous commit, you know, dies by suicide, right? You're like, ask about your friends who don't say anything, your friends that are strong, check in on them. This is another, I think this is the diasporic spectrum of that, you know, like, how do you ask, you know, and like, check in on them, how, when they don't want to talk about it, you know, it's just like, this mired thing is unique to our own, I think, culture is what I'm trying to say. All the processing, right? Yeah. It is, it is newer and it's more unique to where we are today. And I think Anju's absolutely right about the survival piece, that if we're in survival mode, we don't have time for that shit. You know, I think about colonization. I think about apartheid. I think about Idi Amin. I think about all the things that, you know, uh, that the people in my family had to deal with. And I'm sorry, you just had to get out of that situation. You had to leave your home. You had to live through it. You had to survive it. And now that you're here on the other side of it, I think a big question um, that comes up a lot, not just in my family, but I've, I've heard other you know, uncles and aunties say, kind of like, what's the point? Why should we be talking about these things? It's over. It's in the past. We are here now and we need to move forward. That's a big question that keeps coming up. And and nothing we've experienced here is as terrible as that. So let's just keep that there. Well, that's a really great reason to minimize anything that might be going on now because we survived worse, so much worse. So what's the response to that? What's the what's the response to why we would share? I mean, yeah. What's the point in revisiting what is the that, point? that trauma? You know, you have to be really careful with that because, again, all the all the particulars, all the layers that go into being able to do it. I'll leave that to the side for just a second. But just but the idea of why we would do it, why we would share our stories, is because when we share them, when we put them out into the light, we get to feel less shame if shame is involved. We get to feel like the power of those stories, the power of those unresolved emotional processes dies down because we're not just holding them in our bodies and clenched and tense. I mean, I, I, I'd like to believe that many of us have experienced that sensation of, oh, I got that off my chest. And why do we say that? It means that like our shoulders release. We start to breathe a little bit more deeply. Our muscles relax. And that's because we've actually let go of something that we've been holding onto. Our bodies hold on to trauma. Our bodies literally hold on to trauma. So it's there's a lot of research to suggest that there's a lot of truth to that it's not some kind of woo woo new agey thing to say so to the the pain the pain that everybody's talking about my knuckles my pain level man if i were to actually be able to talk about the emotional impact of whatever the issue is then maybe my pain level would go down to a two or a three because it's not really about pain, physical pain anyway. Yeah, it's deflection. It's like, I don't, I'm not going to talk about my emotional pain. Here's my knuckles hurt. Adjacent to what Shamila just said is, you know, I've had a conversation with my mom about her health problems that may have possibly resulted from a lifetime of anxiety, unresolved trauma, and why she may have memory problems. There's a chance. There's a chance that it's tied to that. I don't know for sure. There's no telling. But anti-inflammatory disease, memory problems, you're being sick all the time. Like, I, I've, I, I'm not her age, and I have not had her experience whatsoever. Thankfully, she protected me from having that. Not that I was 100% free of any kind of trial. But... I know what it's like to be sick all the time. I know what that's like because I had complex trauma. So the work that I did to get 
past it to work toward resolving it. Now, the shame doesn't go away, but uh, there is a part of me that's much more resilient and strong that says, oh, you're feeling this. Let it ride, you know, but we're going to we're going to stand strong. We're going to be here. And this shitty thing you're going through, we're going to feel it, but we're going to be strong. So adding to all of that, I think the other piece, what, what that just made me think about is this idea of what it means to be strong, what it means to belong. So we've talked in the past a lot about how brown communities are very much about family first, community first before the individual. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's just the truth. And, and just like any society, if you go binary and it's all or nothing, then there's going to be inherent problems in either, in either way of doing things. But because that tends to be the case, this idea of belonging can sometimes be bastardized to where, you know, referencing Brene, to really create belonging, you have to share, you have to be open, you have to have uh, the ability to be vulnerable with people that you care about. And yet, there's a different kind of belonging that occurs when it comes to mental health and talking about emotions and trauma and crying at your mother's funeral or whatever it might be. These are things we, we, we take pride in not crying at our mother's funeral because how do I want to present myself? It's about belonging in a sense of presentation. We are all okay because of some need to preserve, I don't know, some kind of community or family based image and that's not real belonging but that is the kind of belonging that sometimes takes precedence over sharing anything that's emotional did that make sense 100 percent. like it's it's fitting in right it's fitting into cultural norms and i i don't know i could i have an olympic gold medal and fitting in and it's damaging it's so incredibly damaging and i think what i was trying to say earlier right before your excellent point was you know I've tried to engage in a conversation with my mom about this and it doesn't really fly it doesn't fly I'll say hey I feel like you're you might be going through something like this because you haven't dealt with this and I think there is like some light at the end of the tunnel here if you just be willing to open up about all the shitty things that have happened in your life can you just like do that and talk to a professional about it? I cannot be here for all of that. I think you need to talk to a therapist, but like, because that person's going to know exactly what to say, how to help you through that issue. And my mom will be like, yes, agreeable for like two seconds and then nothing will happen. And then I'm right back to where I started before having a mom who doesn't talk about shit and me not knowing what's actually going on with her. Wow. Okay. So what I thought about when I was listening to you say some very helpful, important things is just from the perspective of somebody uh, who, like your mom, for example, who might not have the comfort level that maybe we do with processing. Like I imagined alarm bells going off of inside her. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. She's referencing things that we're not supposed to be talking about. And again, that fight or flight sort of thing kind of kicks into play here. And so the acquiescing that you got in my mind is almost a... Um, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to keep us on the same page. We're okay. We're okay. Everything's fine. But really it's a, it's a, it's a pattern of withdrawal. I'm going to withdraw by just giving you what you want to hear, but then I'm just not going to actually do anything. And why do we withdraw? Because Miranda, you, you all right over there? <laughs> Stop telling me my phone number. <laughs> Sorry. So. But yeah, I mean, this whole idea of why we withdraw from these moments is because if if I learned growing up through very difficult scenarios that reaching outward was not available to me, then what do I learn? I learn not to reach outward. I reach inward to, to solve for whatever's going on around me. So we go into our heads. We go into survival mode. We go into behavior. We don't go into emotional processing because that's not accessible. That is... Uh, it's just not an option. So if it's not an option, why am I going to do it? And so therefore I withdraw from that potential option. Yeah. I've learned to like back off from my mom, like, and because only because like shit doesn't pan out the way I want it to. Right. Like in a perfect ideal fucking world, my mom would hear me say that and go, Oh shit. I don't want to have fight or flight constantly and chronic stress for the rest of my life. I would like my memory to improve. I don't want to be scared all the time. Like that would be so fucking ideal, wouldn't it? 
except how old is she? How does 70 years pass by and somebody just decide to change all of a sudden? And in my mind, um, and, and this is hard for me, but it happens in little, little tiny ways when I'm with her. For example, I, we've talked about this at length. Indian aunties don't know how to talk to us. They talk about our fat. They talk about our appearance. They talk about our marriageability and then their pain levels. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the spectrum. And school slash work. And school slash work. How are you, where are you working now, Mole? Like that's what they would say, right? And for me, I feel as though the solution with the parent is telling my mom what happened in my life that would no would not otherwise be brought up if I didn't bring it up. So, for example, hey, uh, mama, Lucky, my dog, pooped on my floor today. <laughs> and she would be like, what? And I'd be like, and I need to tell you what's really funny about this. He knows like he's not allowed to do that. He's a very smart dog. Like I love my dog, but when he acts like this, I call him dick face. That's his alias. <laughs> I didn't tell my mom that. But like I, I'm saying like, okay, lucky. When I got home, he pulled a towel over his poop and pulled my other dog's dog bed over whatever other remainder poop. I'm sorry that I'm saying this, this is so disgusting. And when I got home, he was like, it's all clean. I know you don't like a dirty apartment. <laughs> I cleaned up after myself. And <laughs> my mom laughed so fucking hard. Like she laughed so hard. And she was like, they're like children. I said, yes. Now do you understand why I don't want any? Like, <laughs> this is it. Like, if this is what humans are like, no, thank you. And, and we engaged in this conversation of stories. And, on, and just shortly following that, we had the conversation about the hospital. It was just this one little conversational tidbit that broke her open. And she talked about how my brother pooped on his um, stuffed animal dog in a perfect pattern. Like, she was like, I knew Randy was an artist. Like, <laughs> um, and that he was just proud of it. Like, shit like that. Like, man, we all knew he was going to be, like, a prodigy. Kind but- of libertine of him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, just little things like that. Just little teeny, seemingly whatever pieces of it would be a whatever part of a conversation with me and any one of you or like how many conversations that I had with you uh Pooja and Anju were lucky just fucking straight up pissed me off right and it would be part of the conversation and it'd be just like one of the many facets of of the conversation we have or Shamila when we talk about your cat like these are normal things to us but what i just, you know, even just sitting here with you all and just talking about this, I realize now how powerful it is to talk about the whatever things with our parents, too. I think that strategy is beneficial as well, like asking the question and saying, you know, well, why do you think this? Why do you think that? Um, <clears throat> because you're going to run up against the person you know, I like context about things. Like if I know that that pain, that trauma that person suffered, I use that to say, well, this definitely co- colored the rest of their life that they went through this. So I'm going to approach them this way. I got to remember that when I talk to them. But if you say to somebody, you know, or I've said this to aunties before, I'm like, but, you know, like, so-and-so is getting on my nerves, blah, blah, doing X, Y, and Z. I'm like, but you got to remember so-and-so's mom died of such and such so she's sensitive to x y and z and they're gonna be like everybody's mom dies get over it mm-hmm. like you know it's like there's no there's pain olympics there's trauma olympics not to talk about it but to internalize it right like get over it like you see that in the community am i wrong or am i right i think what you meant to say is am i right or am i right yeah like yeah. what level of right am i <laughs> gold silver bronze gold golden gold is what it is um suck it phelps yeah suck it phelps (laughs) so i have to say like in addition to conversation but just like moments that you spend with your parents uh, you know they may not know how to talk about their suffering but it'll be things like um i went to a one of those byob painting things with my mom and we painted sunflowers and i remember 
how vulnerable she was. And I remember how sweet the teacher was to her specifically. There were other people there, other people drinking. There were other people just like, I don't know why this Bon Iver looking dude just like decided to be so sweet and kind to my mom. But it was so, it was something to see her painting a sunflower because she would never take herself to do that. And she would never, I mean, if I didn't suggest it, and then like how wonderful and hap- that this man happens to go, I think you're doing a great job. That's really wonderful. And like just encouraging her in a way that if she were a child, I would hope that she was encouraged by a teacher and just kind of like, it was this, it was this crazy, crazy vulnerable moment. And I was like, oh, oh, this is transformative. Me interrogating her about her mental health is not transformative. She shuts down. But like these little pathways are created when I spend time with my mom and my dad, both. Uh, with my dad, I'll talk about reading, literature, writing. And I'll talk to him about something I'm writing and he'll say, oh, that's neat. I wrote about blah. And the conversation would never take place if I didn't start it there. Like, it's strange, but to me, it seems like the solution here to our families not being able to talk about their suffering, the solution is to simply talk talk to them about the things we just don't talk to them about, which seems so ordinary to us, but it is extraordinary to them. Wow, that was a really great story. That really was transformative, and it was really beautiful and moving to hear about it. Um, and, and, and clearly you caught how powerful that was because of everything that you just said, I can tell. And it, and like the thing that popped up for me, there's this term we use, it's healing corrective experience. So that's that transformational thing you're talking about that, you know, maybe that's part of the reason we are elders. Maybe even we've learned this too, not to talk about some of these things that are tender, because if the person that I'm telling them to, I worry that they're not going to be tender and gentle back to me then imagine how horrible that feels. If I'm open and vulnerable with you, but you're, you know, get over it or it'll be fine. Uh, That's great. Let's move on. If we are, if that's the response I'm going to get, then why would I be willing? And so I think Miranda's right that we, we start with these small, almost innocuous things and then end up allowing for our, for people who struggle with this to titrate their risk. And what that means is, Uh, Yeah, maybe I don't want to talk about the anxiety and my trauma, but I'll talk to you about this sunflower, titrate the risk. And if we can allow for uh, our family members to have small moments of vulnerability and see that it's okay and that we can get over ourselves and all the things we need from our parents, and that takes a lot of time and therapy for us, (laughs) but if we can get over ourselves and we can see them as needing our gentility back to them, they will open up. And I have seen that in in my life too. So that makes a lot of sense. So that my question now is, because I know we're coming to the end of the episode. So, um, you know, you're talking about approaching somebody gently and, you know, with love and care and giving them that space essentially, which is what we want afforded to ourselves, right? How do you cater, not cater, how do you come up for air if it's somebody who, you know, desperately needs to be in therapy, right? But they're not necessarily somebody who is your ride or die or who has earned that through their own problematic behavior, who hasn't earned that give them the safe space, right? You're just like, you're kind of toxic. Here's my boundary. I, I, I understand that, but it's like you want them to get better because like you're burdened with like, who was it? Cassandra with the burden of sight, but nobody would believe them. It's like, I can see your path to wellness. I need you to listen to me, <laughs> you know, or at least, or at least for yourself, like how do you, this part, you know, that person's not there yet. They're not coming up for air. How do you yourself like, Outside of being like drawing boundaries, you know, hard boundaries. How do you just be like, I need to self-care before I go back in, you know? Um, Pooja is describing my whole second quarter of this year. (laughs) (laughs) 
with family and me resolving this. So I'm super dying to hear what you have to say, Shamila. It's going to sound really simple, but what I'm about to say is oftentimes very complex and difficult. But honestly, the words that came to mind for me were, I mean, you mentioned self-care. So I would talk a lot about compassion and acceptance and maybe even forgiveness. And this becomes really difficult because that process starts with you, us, and not the person that you're talking about, right? So if you've already established and recognized that they're probably not willing or ready to do the work that they maybe really do need to do, uh, and aside from setting boundaries and all of that that you've already referenced, then you have to essentially find a way to, and I don't even like this phrase anymore because it's so overly used, but the path to letting go, to let go of that need to help them is about us saying, okay, I'm going to radically accept and radical acceptance is I see you I hear what you are I understand what is in front of me and the radical piece is I don't have to like it it's not about liking it or condoning it it's just I'm sitting at a table with three other women and a bunch of electronic equipment in front of me that is what I accept as my reality so looking at this person what is my reality of this person what is the reality of this person and then stepping back and saying okay, I probably can speculate on how you got to this place. And so maybe I can find some love and compassion for you. And we can love and have compassion from afar. We do not have to be close to give that. We can have that in our hearts from afar. And that's that, that helps with that acceptance. But it also allows us to keep that space and that sort of... Um, it's almost a feeling of responsibility or, or, you know, like, I want you to get better. I know that you can get better. I can, Okay, great. Great that I know that. That has nothing to do with that other person. That's about me. So I need to step back, give myself some compassion, give them some compassion, work on forgiving them each moment that I need to so that I can let go of that, um, that anchor that's weighing me down. So my question about that is how do you forgive someone when they are still actively harming you? Depending on the level of harm that you're referring to, then that might just come back to true boundaries maybe this person doesn't get to be in your life anymore if we're in a situation where this person has to be in my life right there there are such situations where that exists then it's I kind of go back to don't go to the hardware store looking for milk don't ever expect that this person is ever going to do anything um, better than what they've shown you so far so again it comes back to my level of acceptance the reality piece that i was talking about and how do i want to approach that and my approach in that moment might be wow this person's continuing to be maybe verbally abusive to me and i can leave i can i can grab somebody else and involve them in the conversation or if it's just a short-lived crappy comment then i can say to myself i choose not to let that in right it's like uh, i had a therapist tell me and i love this i still use this today this idea of Somebody saying something to me and imagining that it's a gift. But guess what? Any gift, however it's packaged, I'm the one that gets to decide whether I actually accept that gift. And if I choose not to because it's a shitty gift, I'm going to leave it at the door. I'm going to check it at the boundary and I'm going to keep moving. And so it's just consistently and it is a consistent practice of reminding myself this person doesn't get to hold space within my boundaries. Oh my gosh. I was going to, the not, the non-trained response I was going to give you on was just like, you gotta, you know, just accept it and move on, you know, kind of, it's like, accept that's the personality and decide whether or not, and when you choose to engage with it. Um, I'm going to interject and say, Part of my superhuman response is no, <laughs> no, stopping a shitty person. Like that's just like, that is what I want to say. Like, no, you don't get to continue being shitty and you don't get to continue hurting other people. And y'all know what I'm talking about. I tweeted it to you this week. And it's just kind of like my, my, my natural reaction is to go, you know, and not, not so much Hulk out. Um, going, yeah, Hulk. I turn into fucking Hulk and I get fucking mad. And I'm like, you're hurting this person. You're hurting that person. You're hurting me. And you're, no, no, no. <clears throat> and I, and I want to go in. I want to over function. I want to blow up. And like what you said, Shamil, is beautiful and poetic and 
fucking true. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you and your maturity um, and emotional strength, but it's just like, oof, how do you get from hulking to that place? Well, I mean, I was asking that question because we're not, we don't all have it in us to hulk out. You know, some of us don't have the ability to do that and aren't good at drawing boundaries for that matter. And sometimes attacking or confronting that person only creates more trauma for everyone around you know what I mean it doesn't fix anything so there's got to be another way true yeah I think that's one of those things uh, that I work on in therapy it's like you know you if you've decided to be brave then how does bravery look to you is that you putting in the work to put up those boundaries is that you putting in the work to stand up for yourself in a different way so that that person maybe realizes I'm not fucking around I'm serious like, I'm giving you the respect that I'm not punching you in the face, you know, and, and this is hyperbolic, right? I'm giving you the respect that I'm not talking back to you. I'm giving you the respect of respect, right? I expect you to do the same for me. Like, I, I feel like that that question is answered, like, unfortunately, ugh, Miranda, it's, uh, it is ugh, because that's a you fix. That's you having to do that work on behalf of that person, so to limit how they negatively affect you, how they toxify you. And that sucks. Make yeah. no mistake. Uh, yo, yeah. no. Like, That's why I spend half my weekends on my couch, yeah. you know? No, because it's too peoply out in the world. I get it. <laughs> but, you know, and I, and I want to say that there is a place for everything that everybody has said because I think sometimes you do have to say no and you do have to stand up for yourself and maybe even fight back. When I heard Anju's question, I imagined a scenario, and a, a brown scenario indeed, where you're in one of those families where there is one or maybe more, more than one person who takes up a lot of energy. And because of all of the dynamics we just discussed in terms of what we're allowed, doing air quotes, nobody can see them, um, what we're allowed to actually talk about in that family system, if you're the one person who maybe has a little bit more self-awareness and other awareness, then you probably also have awareness that standing up to that person in that moment may, just like Anju said, create more trauma for everybody around you. And you may actually get into, I guess, in some ways, trouble. There would be negative consequences on you for calling something out or making it known. Or on other people around you. I mean, collateral damage. Exactly. Now I understand why aunties have game theory. Like... I understand their inherent behavior now because it's like all all their id and ego and super ego and pathos, all of it boils down to a coup, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're trying to build a coalition to get the person who's taking up the most space out of there. But because we're brown, it's the most passive and slowest route possible. Oh, my God. The slow burn chess that's how we just that's how we create a chess yes (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so i so i'm positive that listeners are listening to this and thinking of their own experiences because i know but i know everyone in this room and i know the moment someone spoke an experience i know they were talking about their own experience but i couldn't help but be catapulted into my own experience and hearing my own experience and what that other person was talking about. And so it's just, it, this, is, this is a conversation that will continue, obviously. We can't cover it in an hour. At all. And, and I mean, it's good because our echo chamber is generational trauma, generational trauma, mm-hmm. generational trauma. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's why what you were saying, it's like you, one of us is describing something and the other one's like, aha, that's uh, like when X, Y, and Z. Because we're in that echo chamber of generational trauma. Yeah. Again, you either continue the pattern or you are, I don't want to say the word burdened because I think the people who take on the task of breaking the cycle of generational trauma, they're badasses. They're the badasses of this fucking world. And I mean, there are, think about all the phenomenal things a human being can do. I think hijacking or at least, you know, hacking your own system of survival and rewriting your narratives and and having the emotional strength to do the things that Shamila is talking about logically but I haven't quite figured it out yet (laughs) you know I, I think that these are the badasses of our world the people who figure it out and create a healthier world for the next generations and I think that's what it's about 
was like, how will my nephews and, 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 and their kids and the kids and the kids and the kids, um, should our earth survive what's happening right now? That's a different episode. Yeah, it's a different episode. You know, how can we make it a healthier world for them? A hundred percent, we cannot guarantee their safety. We can't predict what's going to happen in the future. But I think our special task as children who are first and second generation Americans, I think, I think it's our task to make it right for the people in where we are. Yeah. So I think like shout out to everybody out there doing that work. You know, I know that's hard. (laughs) I know it's hard and it's draining and it's every day. And so, you know, drink your water, take your meds, call your person as the great Heaven and Tracy used to say on another round, rest in peace, another round. But, you know, it's like when you interact with the world every day, it's like, okay, you have that family trauma and then you have trauma upon you as an individual and then you have the trauma the world inflicts on you it's like trauma trauma everywhere and not a psychiatrist to drink you know it's like (laughs) but there are you know everybody will put up guides on the show notes about you know effective ways to Shamila shared that when she did a talk at our temple at my temple before so we'll, we'll bring that out again yes and if you have not hipped yourself to Brene Brown Tara Brock uh, for those of you who are even slightly curious about what trauma does to the body, Bessel van der Kolk, get to know these authors. They've done serious work. And I feel like it covers between all of the authors, and there are more, um, speaking of self-compassion, Kristen Neff, um, there are more, I feel like it, it covers both that scientific side of things and the non-traditional, you know, sort of mysterious side of things that we can't quite explain it. We can't do a double-blind study on it, yet this is kind of a truth for people, and this is something that has worked for others. I feel like those authors cover that spectrum. I just realized part of this, the thing with talking to the parents is we're not speaking the same language as them. We're speaking vulnerability and courage and bravery, and they're speaking shame and fear. So, you know, I think these resources that Miranda is just name dropping left and right, they're important to start checking out because then that gives you a better idea about what they're speaking. Gives you a language to work with, right? Um, And even if you can't speak that language back to your people or to your family, you have identified what it is because that's the hell of it, like honestly. And yeah, and that alone can help minimize trauma or your reaction to it just that awareness well final thoughts i feel like this was an incredibly effective conversation at least the beginning of a conversation i think what i want to say to listeners is oh man just be super kind to yourself like especially when you start to understand yourself better i don't know about um how everyone will react to that kind of information. But for me, it was, oh, stupid. How could you this? How could you that? And I'm like a masterful person who who knows how to beat herself up. I got to say, be kind to yourself as you figure things out. Be kind to the people around you as you learn more about them. Because, I mean, we are either carrying on the cycle or we're breaking it. So, like, compassion toward yourself, compassion towards others what about y'all so right alongside that you know I'm thinking obviously as a therapist but also as a human who's gone through this work herself I think that there's it is important to remember that that the effects of trauma are transmitted across generations and so even if you didn't go through the exact same trauma that your family members did the impact that it had on them has impacted you and that doesn't mean you have to go into a disrespecting not honoring your parents uh you know parent bashing sort of scenario that's not the point um but it is to take care of yourself and bring some of that gentleness and kindness to yourself so you can understand where where to locate yourself in all of this and once you can locate yourself and feel grounded and clear about you you actually can become more clear and grounded about the people that you love and who came before you and then that allows you to really you know see them more clearly and and be able to 
respect and understand, okay, now I get why you, maybe why you behave the way that you do. And then it's not about me. And now I've healed my own wounds. Maybe we can heal them together, but at least I can be more aware and potentially understanding, maybe more empathic to what behaviors are really more about your struggle than they are about you just being an insufferable parent who wants to drive me crazy because it's never that it's rarely ever that are you sure sometimes it is (laughs) yeah I I mean just to echo what what was said being kind to yourself can just be the simple act of telling that voice shut up Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be push affirmations down your throat and read every powerful meme out there or distract yourself until you can process it can just be shut up I'm moving past it you know, I don't have time for it today. Saturday when I'm done with my, you know, my Netflix binge, I'll process you on my couch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of the things I, I think like working through, working to break trauma, not only with yourself, but a cycle that you're a part of. It's, it's, it's hard work. And I think people need to be aware of that. It's emotionally draining. And, and that's kind of how the cycle started with our parents. It's emotionally draining. They don't have time for it. You know, so the cycle just continued. They, they you know, had different activities. Uh, the excuse of raising children, the excuse of a job. You know, not saying that we don't have these things ourselves, but it's important to realize that where the cycle can start. So you can put up defenses there if you want to exit that system, you know? So again, just be kind to yourself, recognize limits, recognize boundaries, and just know it's gonna suck. It's gonna suck if you're not, if you're not in there deep already, you know? But at least it sucks with others. <laughs> yes, and, and, and it sucks. And just know that it sucks, but at the end, something good happens. It's oh going to suck. You don't know how long it's going to suck, how deep it's going to suck, how terrible it's going to You don't know until you do it, but just know at the end of that sucking, there's something good. Oh, 100%. Like, man, this shit-ass journey I've been on since 2013, like 2014. I would never trade anything in the whole fucking world. No amount of money, no amount of prestige, no amount of, you know, I don't know, 400 armed guards and like limitless tickets to Beyonce. Although that would be, that'd be hard. (laughs) There's nothing I would trade for the work that I've done to get to the other side because I've been enslaved to that all this time to be free. And even if it's me being 40% free, 50% free, 60% 60% free the 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 taste of freedom to have autonomy and to not be like I think the word I'm looking for is reeled back into your patterns of rage your patterns of um, self-destruction self-deprivation self-deprecation um, or despair or you name it we can go all the way down to depression you know it's a hundred percent worth it to me to go through the trial of figuring out my story a little bit more and more and more every day, figuring out my family's story a little more and more and more every day and to learn how to be with and love and understand their story, my story and how we are together. Like it's worth it to me. That has always been worth it to me. One of, one of the things I'm trying to incorporate you know, is to journal better or be better at at journaling consistently. Because I think that's one of the ways when you go back and read your old stuff, you're like, wow, I did go through that. Wow, I minimized the fuck out of that. That was terrible. That lasted from September to to March, you know, like, (laughs) goddamn, I'm a warrior. And, 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 you know, not, you may not think those things, but it's like good to see how you changed because of them at the very least. You know, it's your scrapbook of pain. <laughs> well, and I, and the both of you are saying some important things about just how much we deserve to process our own stories, whether you journal it, talk to a therapist, talk to friends, whatever it might be. Your story is yours. It belongs to you and you have to make sense out of it so that you can live your life. And so I, I guess I just want to reiterate the idea that it's not about dishonoring your parents or being you know being brown we don't like to talk about our dirty laundry out there in the world well okay then do it in a way that feels good to you but know that 
you can still honor their story by honoring your own and actually giving, you know, making it valid that you have a story, that you have some experiences that maybe were a struggle for you or that were uh, painful for you. It's okay to acknowledge your pain. And that is not, again, that is not any kind of way to dishonor your parents. That is a way to honor you and honor healing, which can maybe radiate back out to your loved ones. Yes. You're allowed to take up space. As (laughs) Roxanne Gay said this past week in Denton, Texas. Yes. Anju, any final thoughts? No, I think you guys covered it, really. (laughs) (laughs) She's processing. She's processing at the moment. No, I I mean, my thoughts are really the same. It was basically just about having compassion and empathy for yourself and for those around you. Yeah. Uh, You said it so easily and simply, and yet it's so challenging, isn't it? Um, What do you all think, listeners? What are you... What about this episode connected with you? Are there any plans you're going to make? Is there anything you would like to say? Please talk to us. Leave comments. Find us on all of our social media pages at Jilted Indian Pod. And we want to thank Shamila for being back. Where can we find you on the interweb, Shamila? Thank you so much for having me again. I am on Instagram at Shamila.LMFT. I'm on Twitter at ShamilaLMFT and Facebook at Shamila Kashavji MS LMFT. So we'll have those in the show notes, I'm sure. Yeah. You know it. Because <laughs> Pooja's going to take care of it. In the meantime, we sincerely hope you come with love and courage and go in peace and power. This has been Pooja. Miranda, Nanju, and Shamila with the Jilted Indian Podcast. Thanks for listening.